you'd like to turn uh, to the Bible and to page, uh, if you have your finger in the Bible at one place, uh, page 121, uh, Leviticus chapter 19, page 121, and uh, thereafter that we'll be listening to a reading from Titus, which is on page 1198. So, page 121, Leviticus 1198, Titus. Hello, good morning. Uh, we're going to read uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9 to 18. Chapter 19, verse 9 to 18. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time, or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We are going to read Titus chapter 2, verse 9 to 14. Titus chapter 2, verse 9 to 14. It's on your church Bible, page 1198. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, and try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This is a word of the Lord. Lee, thanks very much for reading. Um, do keep a finger in both of those Bible passages because we're going to be referring um, to both of them. But first of all, I thought it'd be good um, to rehearse the Ten Commandments. They're the 10 uh, most famous moral rules, I guess, in any culture, in any time of history. I wonder whether you can remember them. They're the foundation of Jewish 
and Christian ethics, why don't you just turn to uh, the person next to you and see how many of the Ten Commandments you can remember. You've got two minutes. Go. Okay, let's see how we're getting on. All right, we're going to put them up on the screen. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. Let's put them up on the screen in turn. So, um, God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Second, you shall not make for yourself any image in the likeness of um, anything in the heavens above or the earth below and so on. Um, third is um, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God or take the name of God in vain. Fourth, Sabbath, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Fifth, honour your, honor your father and your mother. Now we get to the more kind of typical uh, ones that we can remember even if maybe not in the right order but you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery and today you shall not steal and then we'll do the last two over the next two Sundays so today the eighth commandment you shall not steal and that's in Exodus chapter 20 um, with the rest of the ten commandments one of the things that the laws of the Old Testament, as they're summarised by the Ten Commandments, but all the laws of Moses, um, one of the things they do is that they convict us of our sin. They show us what God's standards are, and then we realise how far short we fall. God actually knows us better than we know ourselves. And the Eighth Commandment shows us that at heart, we're all thieves. We're graspers. The law shows us our hearts. We are thieves. Often we think that stealing doesn't really matter. Um, maybe we think it's funny or endearing in some way. You just have to think of um, some of the uh, clumsy rogues like Marv and Harry in Home Alone. Uh, maybe you're watching that at this time of the year. Uh, maybe the Leonardo DiCaprio con artist character in uh, Catch Me If You Can. Um, here in the East End, uh, we even have um, violent gangsters that are sometimes seen as folk heroes. Um, this is Tom Hardy um, as the Cray twins in front of our East Window there in St Anne's in the film Legend. But stealing isn't funny and it's not harmless. If you've ever been the victim of theft, you'll know just how upsetting it can be. It can make you feel violated. Our stuff is like an extension of ourselves, isn't it? And so we can feel personally attacked when something's stolen from us. God says, you shall not steal. In Leviticus 19, the command is grounded in the character of God. The whole chapter, Leviticus 19, has a lot to say about how we treat our neighbour, including not stealing, but it's topped and tailed with an appeal to God's character. If you've still got a finger in Leviticus 19, just look at the beginning of that chapter. Leviticus 19, verse 1, on page 121. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy, why? because I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
Our holiness is grounded in the character of God, the attributes of God. And then turn on to the end of that chapter, verse 25. God says, do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights, an honest ephah and an honest hin. Why? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. And that phrase, I am the Lord, is repeated all the way through the chapter like a drumbeat. The reason we're to live godly lives, to love our neighbour, to be honest with one another, is because of who our Lord is. In our second reading from Titus, one of the main things uh, that pastors need to teach slaves, what we call employees, is not to steal from their employers. And yet we try to justify our own petty theft, don't we? We tell ourselves that some stealing is victimless crime, whether that's downloading music or or reusing software or travelling on the DLR without a ticket. Just this weekend, there were stories about um, middle-class crime of um, people uh, cheating the self-service checkouts at stores like Marks and Spencers. Well, we excuse our stealing by saying they can afford it. Apparently, one in eight people think it's okay um, to keep quiet if you're undercharged in a corner shop, but that proportion doubles if it's a supermarket. You see, we think the supermarkets are big enough, they can afford it. Sometimes it's not stealing stuff so much as stealing time from our employers. What about other ways of excusing our stealing? How about they deserve it if we take from an unfair landlord or, or an unfair employer? How about everyone else is doing it? Ever used that one? We don't let our kids get away with that excuse, do we? Leviticus 19 is very specific in some of the ways that it teaches us not to steal. Verse 13, for example, do not defraud or rob your neighbour. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Or verse 15, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favouritism to the great, but judge your neighbour fairly. However we break this commandment, wherever we draw the line and however we justify it, our stealing reveals our heart. It reveals our desire to push the boundaries, to grasp what's not ours, what we haven't worked for and what we're not entitled to. In that way, we show ourselves to be descendants of Adam, the first man who reached out and took the one thing that God said wasn't his and that he mustn't have. In that act, actually, Adam broke every one of the Ten Commandments in a sense. Maybe you can go away afterwards and tick them off and see the ways that Adam broke all Ten Commandments. But the laws of Moses, um, summarised in the Ten Commandments, they show us our hearts. They show us how we're like Adam and Eve. The Eighth Commandment shows us we're graspers, taking what isn't ours to satisfy our desires. I wonder if you can recognise that impulse in yourself. 
It's gone very quiet, hasn't it? We live our lives as if we're climbing a chocolate-topped mountain. Okay, does anyone like chocolate? It's the best I can think of. I think people generally like chocolate, don't they? We see life as a struggle to get up to the good stuff at the top of the mountain. Okay? Sometimes we might work together with others to get up the mountain, but at other times we exploit others or pull them back to get an unfair advantage. Sometimes we think we're getting close to the good stuff, but as soon as we get near, the chocolate seems to get further away, even as we scramble all the more up the mountain. The reason we steal, whether in big ways or in little ways, is because we want every advantage to try to get the chocolate at the top of the mountain. And the thing is, we're not going to give in just because we find that there's a rule that says you shall not steal. The laws of God have no power in themselves to bring about our godliness. We might try to turn over a new leaf for a while, but before too long, we're excusing our little sins again. We're pushing the boundaries. We're just making ourselves more guilty. The power to change doesn't come from within. It comes from the goodness of God. You see, we are thieves, but Jesus is generous. The law shows us our hearts, but the law also shows God's goodness. Jesus is generous. And this is the thrust of our second reading. So have a look now at Titus chapter 2. It's on page 1198 and 1199. Titus chapter 2. One one nine eight. So we pick up at the bottom of that first page of Titus in verse nine. Um, Titus is told to uh, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them. And verse 10, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Why would we do that though? Why would we not steal? Well, because of what Paul says next. He says in verse 11, for, or because... The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who, verse 14, did what? Jesus Christ who gave himself to redeem, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. There's profound truth in these verses. The law of God cannot by itself create godliness in us. 
It just exposes our hearts. It shows us we're guilty and we can't make ourselves more godly just by trying harder. What we need is to be taught by the grace of God, the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says it's the grace of God that offers salvation to all people that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Just as the sin of Adam broke every one of the Ten Commandments, so the cross of Christ uniquely fulfilled every one of them. In the case of the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, it's fulfilled and in fact is overturned by the generosity of God at the cross. Paul tells Titus to teach slaves not to steal because, in verse 14, Jesus Christ gave himself for us. It's how Terry started the service this morning, talking about the grace, the amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ. God is the opposite of a thief. He's the good giver. When I first prepared um, this talk, I did a search for all the times the word um, give comes up in the Bible. It's a lot. But what you notice when you look through all the times the word give appears in the Bible, how many of those times it's God who is doing the giving. Now there's a general sense in which God, our creator, gives all of humanity the good things that we need. The Apostle Paul said to the pagans at Lystra in Acts chapter 14, he said, God has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. But more specifically, the generous God gives us his son in salvation. Probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible, John 3:16. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We're influenced by the stories we tell one another and the stories we tell ourselves. And we tend to tell and to think a story of scarcity, of need, especially maybe with the cost of living crisis um, over the last couple of years, we tell each other that there's a lack and that causes us to think that we need to grasp our share. But actually the bigger story is a story of abundance. Our God is an unlimited, infinite, generous God. And so we need to tell ourselves and tell one another, not a story of need and scarcity, but a story of abundance in our great God and Saviour. God is the absolute opposite of a thief. A bit later on in John's Gospel, in chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, says Jesus, that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd, he says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do you see, a thief comes and says, your possessions, even your life itself, is mine. Jesus says, take everything I have. Take my life itself. Have it as a gift. Have it so that you may have life to the full. 
everything I have, says Jesus, is yours. There is no limit to my willingness to expend myself for the sake of your enrichment. Have you grasped the generosity of Jesus Christ crucified? We are all thieves at heart, all except Jesus, who is the very opposite of a thief. And yet on the cross, he was punished for our sin so that we might go guilt-free. In a few minutes' time, we're going to receive that gift symbolically in the bread and wine of communion. Rather than being a grasping God who only wants what we can give him, our God is a generous God who freely offers what is most valuable to him. We are guilty no longer when we bring all our guilt at our grasping nature, our thefts, whether big or small, our pathetic self-justifications, and we place them at the foot of the cross, asking Jesus Christ for his forgiveness and for the blessings of all the riches that come through him alone. Have you done that? Maybe you can do that today. You see, it's when we've done that that the natural inclination of our hearts starts to turn around. As we receive the abundant generosity of our God, then we can start to show generosity to others. We turn bit by bit from grasping like Adam to giving like Jesus. The law shows us we're sinners. It points to the cross and only then the law shows us how to live, to give and not to grasp. We need to go through those two steps first. I've presented it on your handout as a little cycle. I don't know if you can see it there on um, the inside of the sheet. We need to go through that little cycle. We all know that stealing, that grasping attitude is wrong, but we lack the power to put it to death. Once we realise our sin, we cry out to God for mercy in Jesus Christ. Our series title is Free at Last. It refers to Israel's freeing from slavery in Egypt where the Ten Commandments were first given in the wilderness. It reflects the freedom that we enjoy when we live the way that God intends. Imagine the freedom of a society where people are no longer thieves at heart. The freedom of being able to leave the house in the morning without locking the door. The freedom of leaving your bike, knowing that it will still be there at the end of the day. The freedom of not needing CCTV or police or revenue protection teams or locksmiths or lawyers. Imagine the freedom too to each of us personally of not having to grasp anymore. Think back to my image of the chocolate-topped mountain. I talked about climbing the mountain, striving and stretching to get to the good stuff. But imagine now that the chocolate is flowing down towards us. 
We don't have to climb up to it. It comes freely to us. We can just reach out and take it. God is a God not of scarcity, but of abundance. Suddenly, any grasping, any rivalry, any desire to cheat or steal is out the window. We can revel in the abundant generosity. We can give to one another because it's not a limited supply to be fought over, but an infinite supply to offer. That's just a little picture of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. All that we might fight for and steal in this present age is ours abundantly and generously in the age to come. We have freedom from the struggle to be able to offer to everyone else. The slavery for us today can be an obsession with accumulating and holding on to our stuff, but we're not owned by our possessions. We're free from the struggle. We're free from the slavery. We can give generously. And that's what that cycle is getting at. When we realize our grasping hearts, we turn to the generosity of God in Jesus Christ. And when we receive the grace of Jesus, we ourselves are freed from grasping and we're turned instead to generosity. Even as we do that, we realize that we do it imperfectly. We realize that we aren't as generous as we should be. And so we're convicted of our sin afresh and we go round the cycle once more. Each time we go round, we realize the love of God in Jesus Christ a little bit more deeply and we're remade in his generous image a little bit more fully. It's as we have that fundamental change of heart that we start to live differently. The first sign of a changed heart with regard to stuff is integrity. Leviticus 19 says, do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights, an honest ephah and an honest hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Maybe the modern equivalent is making sure that we pay the full amount we owe paying tradesmen enough so that they can pay the VAT on it as they should. We grow in integrity. But we also grow in generosity. It might be something as simple as like the gleaning laws that we read in Leviticus 19. We leave tips, we leave a little trail of blessing wherever we go. Acts 20 says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Have you experienced that blessing? And all of that will be part of our Christian witness. We live in a dog-eat-dog world, a world of struggling up the mountain. And so we will really stand out and be different, won't we, when we give rather than grasp. That was supposed to be the role of the Israelites in the Old Testament. They were supposed to display the goodness of God in their dealings with the nations. And it's the same for Christians in Titus chapter two. That's what Paul says in verses nine and 10. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Why? So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. I wonder, 
in your dealings with your bosses at work? Do you make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive? Would they say that the alignment of your heart is with good news of abundance rather than need and scarcity? Do they see your integrity and your generosity? What about among your family and your friends? What about your neighbours? When we grasp the grace of God in Jesus Christ, we're no longer on the defensive. How can I justify myself that I'm not really stealing? No, instead we admit our sin and we look for every opportunity for generosity, displaying the generosity of God in Jesus Christ crucified. Terry read earlier that verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read it again now and then lead us in prayer. The Apostle Paul says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We thank you, our Father, and praise you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please, Father, write his generosity on our hearts. Replace the grasping of Adam with the grace of Jesus. We pray, our Father, that you will grow each one of us in integrity, in generosity, and in our Christian witness to the glory of your name. Amen.